Welcome to Souls Harbor's weekly podcast. We believe that God has called us to lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, help them grow to be like Jesus, and involve them in reaching lost people. Listen now to this week's message. Hey, if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, grab them, open them. We're going to go old school today, and by that I mean, I mean, I mean, Pastor Barry didn't put together a PowerPoint today, so you need your Bibles, okay? Uh, today, and I want to share a message that God uh, has, has laid, I believe, laid on my heart. And, and it really is a continuation of what I preached last week. For those of you that were here last week or heard last week's message, I preached the message, what's our business and how is business? And I left this up there here for a reason, not because I forgot it, but because last week's opening was, you know, we got some phenomenal donut shops in central Indiana, and they are phenomenal because they know their business. Their business is to make the world's best donuts and some of them, I think, arguably have succeeded and succeeded well. It's just as important the church know their business. And I preached last week about our business, the Great Commission. The Great Commission is go into the world and make disciples. That was last week's message. And if we are not about doing what this banner behind me says, and that is reaching lost people, making converts, and, and, and helping them grow to be disciples, then we need to shut the doors, sell the property, give the money to a church that will do that, and stop being Souls Harbor Church. That's how strongly I feel about the Great Commission. That's our purpose. That's our business. That's why we exist, okay? There is a second piece to our business that I want to preach about this morning. The Great Commission was last week, but this week is the second piece that Jesus laid out for the church, and it's called the Great Commandment. How many of you are familiar with this? The Great Commandment. It's a powerful piece of Scripture. If you've got your Bibles this morning, Turn with me to Luke chapter 10, verse 25, and let me read to you the great commandment. Jesus was challenged one day. A doctor of the law came to him and said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? How shall I in uh, inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, verse 26 is where I'm going to pick up. He said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the, the, uh, the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. What is the great commandment? What is the purpose of the people of God? What is our business? It's to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our strength, all of our mind, all of our soul, and our neighbor as ourselves. Now, I'm going to spend most of my time this morning talking about the second piece of that, and that is loving our neighbor as ourself. I, I, I want to I speak into the culture that we're living in right now a little bit, but let's just take a moment and talk about this thing of loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I've been thinking here lately uh, about it in the context of, I believe it's Gary Chapman wrote the book a number of years ago called The Five Love Languages. Are you familiar with those? You familiar with that concept? Anybody that's not, if, if, yeah, nobody wants to raise their hand now. The five love languages, the concept is basically this. Everybody has one of five love languages, and that's the language you speak love into the people you care about, particularly your spouse. So they, they, they break down like this, touch, time, uh, service, gifts, and actually sexuality. Sex is, is a part of those love languages. Well, we're not going to talk about that one in relation to loving God, but let's talk about the other four. And I've thought about it. Each one of us, we do, we do express love in a certain language. 
How do you feel loved? What makes you feel loved? If somebody, if, if somebody comes to you and they give you a gift that they bought or they specifically bought for you or made for you, do you walk, how many of you would walk away from that feeling, yeah, they really care about me, they really love me? That's your love language. How many of you would look at it and say, well, that's special, I appreciate that, but it wouldn't make you feel anything? Anybody? That's kind of me. I mean, I would appreciate it, thank you for it, but it's not that big a deal. How about service? How many of you, when somebody comes and does something for you, they come and, and do an act of service, they may mow your grass or they may do your laundry or, or they may cook your meal or, or wh whatever. They do some kind of act of service for you that they didn't have to do. How many of you, that makes you feel loved? Yeah. How about touch? How many of you, if somebody comes up and, and they, they say hi from six feet away, uh, you're glad to see them, but if if they come up and they really give you a hug, and I don't mean anything weird about it, I just mean a hug. It matters to you, you feel loved. Touch is probably your love language. So you kind of see, and, and the problem we run into in marriage is we get one uh, spouse that speaks one language and another spouse that speaks another language and they can't understand after about a year why they're not getting along and why their marriage is, is struggling. It's because it's like this person is speaking to them, I love you, I love you, I love you in Japanese, and this person doesn't understand Japanese. Oops. So a part of, of what I do when I talk with couples is help them understand. You need to learn what your spouse's or soon-to-be spouse's language of love is and express it that way. But when it comes to God, love, think about this with me. I'm going somewhere with this. Think about this with me. When it comes to God, he says, love, you, you need to love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Do you understand what he's saying there? All your heart, all your feelings, your intellect, your, 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 your strength, your body. God says to us, you need to love me in every one of your love languages. You need to love me by serving me, physically going out and being my hands to other people. You need to love me. You need to love me by spending time with me. You need to have your time of devotions and your, your, your time of worship. You need, to, you need to love me with your mind. You need to love me by picking up the word of God and actually putting more than just a quick little snippet of a devotion, but actually put some time and some thought and some energy into loving me with your mind. You need to love me with all of your being. Now listen to me. If you happen to be a person here this morning that your love language is touch, it may be that the way you feel the love of God and you express the love of God is through worship. It, it may be that when you come into the presence of God and you stand and there is a, 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 a manifest sense of the presence of God about you, that's how you feel love. Your love language may very well be touch. It may be that the, the, the way you feel love uh, for God and the closest to God is when you open up that commentary. Anybody here? How many of you own a commentary? Just out of curiosity. Okay, if you actually own a commentary... Your, your mind, all right, that might be the way you express love, and, 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 and that's fine. But God says, now get this, okay? God says, you need to love me with all your heart, soul, body, strength. Sometimes we need to focus on those love languages that don't come easy. Can I give you this, and then I, 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 I am. I'm going to preach about the neighbor as yourself piece of this. Some of you here this morning that you are super intellectual. I hear people shaking their head. That's not me. No, no, no. I, I'm not telling you you got an IQ of 180. I'm just telling you the way God puts you together is you like to think things through and, and, and operate logically. And you get excited when I preach sermons that are one, two, three, A, B, C. Right? Some, some of you do. Not, not a lot of you, but some of you do. Okay? 
if you're here and that's your automatic love language, then you need to learn to develop the piece of your love language that is touch, which is spending time in the presence of God. Some of you need to, to make yourself come into the worship service and close your eyes and just say, Lord, let me feel your presence for the next 15 minutes. Because that's not your strength. Now, the reverse is true. Some of you that love to be in the presence of God, you need to actually open something deeper than a, a five-minute devotional. And I'm not against five-minute devotionals, but if that's all you're getting, that's probably not enough. Maybe you need to buy a commentary and open a commentary or open the Word of God and read the footnotes and actually go a little deeper into the Word of God. God says, love me with everything that you've got. Now, now here's, the, here, here's, here's, the, here's the catch. Here's the question. Here's the end. Here's, here's the challenge to you. What's your business? How's business? I can't answer this for you, but you need to answer this. How are you doing at loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength? I want you to answer that question to yourself right now, please. How are you doing with that? It's not optional. This is why we exist, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, body, soul, mind, and strength. Love God. And then we get this next portion, and it's this. What's our business? Our business is to love our neighbor and love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, this man, this lawyer that came to Jesus, wanting to justify himself according to the passage in Luke, came to Jesus and said, okay, Jesus, who's my neighbor? You ever do that? Somebody gives you, you ever do, your kids ever do that to you? You give them some guidelines and some boundaries, and they do everything in their power to figure out how to stay within those boundaries but get what they want. Anybody's kids ever do that? Everybody's kids. And that's what this, that's what this lawyer, that's just what this lawyer went to Jesus and said, okay, Jesus, all right, I'll, I'll, I can live with that. I need to love my neighbor as myself. But tech, you know when the question starts with the word technically? Technically, who's my neighbor? Okay, Jesus, I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. So does that mean the guy that lives right next door? I, I, okay, he's my neighbor. I'm going to love him as myself. And the guy that lives on the right side, they're my neighbor. I'm going to love them as myself. But what about the one that lives across the street? They're really technically on the other side of the street. Are they really my neighbor? Or two houses down. You understand what I'm saying? And, and, and he played this game with Jesus. And Jesus came back with the story of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus basically laid that out like this. He said there was a man that was traveling, and on the road to traveling, he was accosted by thieves. Thieves came along, and they, they beat him, and they left him for dead alongside the road, and they stole everything he had. Jesus goes on with the story. He says, as he lay there bleeding... For those of you that really like the one, two, three ABC sermon, you're, this is, you're not going to like this. But for those of you like the story type of sermon, you, you might enjoy this a little more. As the man lay there along the road in the dust, unconscious and bleeding, a priest came along. If there's anybody in this world that ought to be a spiritual person, it would be the priest. And the priest came along and saw the man, and he walked across to the other side of the road, and he walked on by. 
And the man lay there for a little longer, and as he lay there for a short time longer, along comes a Levite, somebody that did more of the menial tasks in, in the temple, but they were in the temple. They were in the presence of God, and he came along, and you would think if anybody's going to be spiritual, if it wasn't the priest, it's going to be the Levite, but the Levite comes along, and he sees the man laying there, and he walks on by as well. How many of you ever heard this story called the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan? Can I teach you something this morning that, that we miss in the West? In the mind of the lawyer that Jesus was talking to, Samaritans were not good. We think of Samaritans, we think these are very powerful, spiritual, good people. But in the context that Jesus was speaking, you know who Samaritans were? Please, please I hope you get this. They were the dirty. They were the untouchable. They were the unacceptable. They were the sinners. They were the people that the Jewish people would walk miles and miles and hours around the little area of Samaria just so they wouldn't have to put their feet on the soil of a Samaritan. He wasn't, in, in the mind of that lawyer, he wasn't a good Samaritan. He was a Samaritan, a dirty Samaritan, a filthy Samaritan, a sinner Samaritan. And if you can get that, you, you get a little bit more power out of the story. And this Samaritan comes along, and he sees the man, and Jesus tells the story, and the Samaritan stops, and he binds up his wounds, and he cares for him, and he picks him up, and he has him carried or carries him to an inn nearby, and he takes him in, and he gives him to the innkeeper, and he tells the innkeeper, I want you to care for this man, and here's, here's two days' wages. How much do you make in a day? I don't want to know the answer to that, but think about it for a minute. How much do you make in a day? He gave the man two days wages and said, care for him. And if it takes anything more than that, I'll pay it next time I come. Jesus looked at the lawyer and said, you tell me, who is the neighbor to that man? It was a Samaritan. The man responded like this. He said, it was the one who showed mercy. Jesus looked at the lawyer and said, okay, you need to go and do the same. Who's your neighbor? Your neighbor is anybody in this world that needs mercy, that needs help. Doesn't matter whether they're a fellow Christian, part of your church, they live across the street, or in, in, in our culture, they're the dirty, the inappropriate, the untouchable, or the worst of sinners. If they need mercy and they need help, they're your neighbor. Now, there's some things in there that can speak to the church this morning. Because there's plenty in the church. I'm talking big church. I hope not this church, small church, but the big, big C church. There's plenty in the big C church that there's groups of people in this world that they won't touch with a 10-foot pole. They won't have a conversation with them. Certainly wouldn't bend over and stoop to help them. Sadly, they would probably cross the road and walk on. What does it say this morning when the spiritual cross the road, but the unclean are the ones that choose to show mercy? God help us. What does it look like to love your neighbor as yourself? It looks like choosing to touch people that under different circumstances 
I probably wouldn't spend time with them. I'll give you an example this morning. Jesus lays out a few things for us. He gives us, by his life, he gives us some examples. First one is this in John 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 2. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me there. John 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 2. One day Jesus himself was approached by some Pharisees. And we'll pick it up with verse 2. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. Jesus came to the temple, and all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Some people like to spin this a little bit and say, well, they accused her of adultery. Well, it, it says they caught her. It seems pretty clear that she was guilty of what she was charged with. Placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, now the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charges to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, said to her Woman, where are, are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. I just want to share a few thoughts about that. I want you to notice how Jesus operated in this scenario. He didn't condemn her. Let's your mind get around that for a minute. Say, Pastor Barry, that's not... Uh, he said, I do not condemn thee. doesn't get any more pointed than that. He did not condemn her. You can go to John... Chapter 3, I didn't come in the world to condemn the world, but through me to save the world. He didn't condemn her. Beyond that, he protected her. Think about this for a minute. Jesus, he protected this woman. He, he, ha he had a way of approaching those that were standing there with the stones in their hand that caused them to drop the stones and walk away. He protected her. He protected her at the risk of his own reputation. Because any good rabbi, any good Christian, any good, any good spiritual person would have known what the law said and would have insisted that they follow through with the letter of the law. There was no room for anything but condemnation. Moses was pretty clear about that. He protected her. He risked his own reputation. But then he also did something else. He called her sin. Can I say the S word? Sin. Didn't he? He called her sin, sin, and he told her something. He said, repent. He, he said to her, repent. He said to her, he said to her, go and sin no more. In other words, walk a different direction. Go and don't sin any longer. And I, I, I give you this story for this reason this morning. And I think it's important to understand how Jesus functioned in that situation. He put his own reputation on the line. He loved this woman. He, he protected this woman. He defended this woman. He did not condemn this woman. He did all of that first, and then he came to her, and he did talk 
to her about her sin and said, you are a sinner, go and sin no more. I don't think Jesus would have made it in the 21st century United States of America. I mean, we, I guess we wouldn't have crucified him because we don't do that, but you know what we would have done? We'd have canceled him. I like it when everybody agrees with me and likes me as opposed to when everybody disagrees with me and gets aggravated at me. But nevertheless, I'm going to preach what I'm going to preach. So I, I, I hope you'll hear this. There are plenty of people in this world right now, in this culture right now, that are sinners. You can say amen there. It's okay. Man, we get excited when we can stand up and preach hard against them and condemn them and, and, and talk about how horrible they are. And I suspect that Jesus as a preacher or a Christian had came and defended this woman because th this woman, what she did, understand this, what this woman did was atrocious. It was an atrocity. It was an abomination. It was a horrible thing within the Jewish culture. Now, we, we, we don't quite get the depth of that today because, you know, adultery's not that... Sadly, not that big a deal in our culture today. It's a big deal, but not, not like it was then. I mean, okay? And, and it, had a Christian stood up and defended her, what would the church have done? Maybe canceled. Let's face it, the church has its own cancel culture, right? Certain preachers, certain teachers, certain teachings, we just, yeah, we, nah, we, we, got our, we got our beliefs, we got our ways, we got our traditions. Jesus would have had a hard time making it, standing up and defending somebody that is sexually immoral as this woman, sadly. But here's the other thing about, about what Jesus did. Jesus would have had a hard time in America, in, in, in the West, because not only would the church have had a real problem, many in the church would have had a real problem with his defending her and his you know, his, his putting his reputation out there for her, but then to actually turn around and to say her, to say to her, you're a sinner? You know what that's called? You know? It's called hate speech. Isn't it? Jesus, you can't say that to her. It's hate speech. We're canceling you. And all of a sudden, Jesus would have found him in himself in a place where he would have been struggling with the, the religious people, and he would have been struggling with the, the, the non-religious people, and he would have found himself right in the middle, and if he wasn't careful, he'd have ended up finding himself, oh, I don't know, hanging on a cross. What about the church in America today? What, I say church, it's easy to think organization. What about you and me? We're the church. How do we love our neighbor? The way we love our neighbor and the challenge that we're facing in the 21st century, and, and this is what I, I really believe God wanted me to share with you this morning, is it is a challenge in the 21st century to love our neighbor because we have got to walk this line between not getting pulled into this, this mindset that we have got to go so strong and so hard and so hateful against the sinner that we condemn them. On the one hand, we've got to love them. On the other hand, we've got to be willing, even when, when we face persecution from the non-Christian, to be able to say, what you're doing is sin. There's a moral piece to this. 
If you saw your neighbor's kids, I, I don't know, can you see through the windows of your neighbor's house, anybody? Your neighbors live close enough, you can actually see through the windows of their house. If you saw your neighbor, just so work with me here, okay? If you saw your neighbor's kids in, in your neighbor's house and, and they were in there playing with uh, matches or those little lighters, you ever, you ever see those little things you light grills with and stuff? And, and you saw them in there, what would you do? Would you get up out of your easy chair and shut off the TV and run next door and beat on the door and tell the neighbor, hey, your kids are in the other room and they're going to burn your house down? Or would you just turn the TV up a little louder and think, you know, not my business. They're probably not going to want me telling their kids what they should and shouldn't do. I'm just going to leave it alone. I don't want them to think I hate the kids. You say, Pastor Bray, that's a silly example. Well, 10 years ago, I would have agreed with you. Today, it's probably not that far from reality. What would you do? I know what I would do. I would say, Ruthie, you need to run next door and tell those neighbors that their kids are about ready to burn down their house, right? That's what I would do. Or, or I would probably say, Ruthie, you need to get on the community site on Facebook and put it out there and let them know that their kids are about ready to burn down the house, right? What I wouldn't do is just ignore it, but yet, do we still believe in eternity? Do, do we? Do we still believe in heaven? And do we, do we, do we still believe that there's a place called hell that, and, and unless your sins are forgiven and Jesus Christ has washed away your sins and you've made a different choice, do we still believe that there's eternity separated from God in a place called hell? Because if we do, aren't we, aren't we ignoring if we refuse to talk about the S word because we're afraid we're going to offend somebody or our reputation's going to be destroyed because we're throwing hate speech, aren't we just saying, okay, go ahead and burn your house down. I can't get involved. I, I watched a video clip yesterday, news, news article in the video. I watched the clip that went with it. A man a preacher, 70 years old, in London. Now, I don't know that this is the best way to share the gospel, but he had literally got himself an orange crate or a box and put it on the street corner, literally on the street corner, and stepped up onto the crate and opened the Bible, and he read Genesis. Chapter 1, chapter 2. Do you know what Genesis talks about in chapter 1 and chapter 2? Creation, but it also talks about the first marriage, talks about husband and wife, talks about Adam and Eve, talks about two genders, talks about all those things. And he read it, just read it, and then he expounded on it. And as you can imagine, that's an unusual experience in the world today. This 70-year-old preacher on an orange crate expounding on the scriptures and talking about husband and wife and children. And do you know what happened while he was speaking? As he was speaking, there were people with their phones putting them on YouTube and Facebook, and there were people on their phones calling and texting the police to say to them, there's a man out here on the corner that is speaking hateful, hurtful, brutal things. You need to come and arrest him. And when it was all said and it was all done, the police were there and they walked up to the man and said, you have got to stop. You can't say those things on the street corner anymore. And he said, I've done nothing wrong. There's nothing illegal that's happened here. You can't arrest me. You can't, I, I, I just, I'm going to continue to speak. And when it was said and done, they had him off of the orange crate, his hands behind his back, handcuffs on him, 
taking him to jail. Now you can say, and I, I, if you all that know me know I'm not the alarmist, I'm not the guy that finds the, the boogeyman behind every bill and every circumstance, and you can say that was just a one-off, but in that same article it talked about the same thing happening in Oregon in the last few months here in the United States of America. We are right now, they are passing through Congress the Equality Act, which sounds really good. I, I mean, there's probably some really good things in the Equality Act, but one of the things the Equality Act does is it sets things up to where you cannot offer up hate speech, you, what they call hate speech. You cannot address things like transgenderism or there's male and female or heterosexual marriage. If you do those things, then all of a sudden you put yourself in the place where you are speaking hateful things. We made the mistake, folks, and I'm running out of time, so I'm not going to go too terribly deep into this because I'll get all political and then you all get mad at me. But when we decided that there was a difference between a crime and a hate crime, we made a mistake, in my opinion. If you have a different view, that's fine. I wouldn't die on this hill. But if I go out and commit murder, or I go out and commit murder because I hate the person, isn't it the same? Shouldn't there? I mean, so where's the difference? If if I go out and 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 I burn somebody's house down, and I go out and, or I go out and burn their house down, and it's determined to be a hate crime, either way, their house is burnt down. And it's not that I think you ought to take the the the, the penalty for the hate crime and make it easier. Maybe you ought to take the penalty for the non-hate crime, whatever that is. I don't know how you burn somebody's house down and it not be hate and make it a little harsher. So we let hate crimes become hate speech and now we're being labeled Christian. You're being labeled hate speech because you have the courage, the willingness to stand up and say to somebody, what you're doing is a moral issue and there are moral consequences and I love you enough and I care about you enough in order to say that to you, please consider what you're doing. That's hate speech. Preach this message this morning, and I'm, I'm going to bring this to a close. Because we're stepping into an era in America and the West and the civil, quote, civilized world where we Christians are going to have to make some decisions. I've heard for 30 years it's going to get hard, and Christian, you better be ready for persecution, and it's never really came but now it is. Will you love your neighbor? Will you love them enough to use the S word? And Christian, I'll ask you this as well. Will you love them enough to not condemn them? Will you love them enough to bend a knee and help them? Will you love them enough? I didn't even get to the portion of the message I was going to preach about Jesus and the woman at the well. Will you love them enough to actually let them and ask them to help you and do something for you like Jesus did the woman at the well? Will you love them enough to spend two days with them like Jesus did the woman at the well? Will you love them enough to invest your life into them and call them friend? Will you love them enough? And then will you love them enough to use the S word? Because Jesus puts it out here. What's our business? Our business is the great commission, and it's the great commandment, and it's love your neighbor as yourself. And the day we stop loving our neighbor as ourselves is the day we need to close the doors and go do something else. You could say amen there. Or at least nod. We don't nod this way. That doesn't help.
This does. Would you stand? I was praying this morning. God, how do you want me to end this message? How do you want me to end this service? I don't know that I really had an answer until just right now, and I, I believe this is what God would have me to do. And that's pray over me. You're going to face challenges. Your challenges are going to be having the courage to use the S word, to talk about sin. And your challenges are going to be getting over your history enough to actually earn the right to speak into the lives of the person that needs to hear the S word is saying. Will you let me pray over you this morning? Father, everybody standing in this room this morning, you've put here today for a purpose. I believe you ordained them to be born in this generation, in this time. And that says to me that within them is the courage and the strength and the compassion and the love to reach this messed up culture and world we live in. So this is my prayer. Father, give wisdom. Give a broken heart. Give an incredible amount of courage to your people. That God, we will not shrink back from calling sin, sin. And we will not become so angry that we feel compelled to condemn those that are sinners, just as we were. Lord, I pray, God, today for your wisdom, for your love, and most of all, for your anointing, your empowerment upon this people, upon me, Lord, to make a difference in this world. That's our business. That's our business. Because it's your business. In Jesus' name. Love you guys. God bless. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you're looking for a church home or are interested in what God is doing through Souls Harbor, visit us at www.soulsharborag.com. If you have an encouraging story of what God has done in your life through this podcast, please share it with us at sharbor at indy.rr.com.